Chapter 1, 6 a.m. Pacific Time, Santa Monica, California. Beth Colby, also known as Draper's Girl, shook herself violently from her sleep. She glanced down at her clenched fist, then gazed about her bedroom, grounding herself after what she realized was another nightmare. A quick look at the clock revealed she'd once again beat the alarm by a couple of minutes. Her internal stopwatch is accurate as ever. Her hair was sweaty and her pillowcase sopping wet. Fucking dreams, she thought. She tried to pull up her comforter, only to find she'd kicked it off the bed during the night. The dreams, or rather nightmares, were happening more frequently, and she was beginning to regret ever having stepped into a therapist's office. Things are going to come up, her therapist said. That's what's supposed to happen. You can't deal with stuff that's under the surface. You have to let it up. In her therapist's defense, the woman clearly had no clue what kind of patient she was dealing with. Beth Colby, called by most of her male counterparts as Draper's Girl, within the sprawling corporate criminal enterprise known as the organization, was more lethal than cancer, with a kill list more expansive than a chain restaurant menu. Beth's mind was a true Pandora's box, and what was buried inside her psyche would scare the living shit out of most normal humans. Other than her childhood traumas, at least the ones she could remember, she left her professional backstory out of her sessions, not wanting to have to kill a perfectly nice lady that was only trying to help. A big step on the road to self-awareness for Beth. Fuck you, sister she muttered in response to the memory of her therapist diatribe, stepping off the bed and sinking her toes into the small lambskin rug, a tiny island of fur floating on a sea of hardwood flooring. It had been three months since she had spoken with her boss and pseudo-father, Draper, and she was starting to finally feel human. Not that she'd ever really felt human in recent memory. Her last assignment, Jack Glasser, left her at an emotional crossroads, and he had ultimately seen through her on some level, saw her damage, and loved her anyway. That wasn't supposed to happen, but it had, and affected her in a way that caused her to pull away from Draper in the organization to take personal time, something that was completely alien for an organization operative and fixer. Her phone buzzed on the nightstand, she shook her head, looked at it, and ignored it. It was a burner phone, a number that only a few local businesses and her therapist had, but she knew the number on the caller ID. It was Draper. Draper, the head of a massive corporate criminal enterprise, was the only one who could have found the number. After falling off the grid for three months, she knew Draper was getting nervous. Her last real assignment was pretty straightforward surveil and get to know Jack Glasser, a smart, rich 20-something that made stock market trades in parallel with organization member company market machinations, manipulations that were supposed to be cleverly hidden. Fearing that Glasser had some algorithm or inside knowledge, Draper needed to know what Jack knew. That's where Beth had entered Jack's life. Posing as his girlfriend for nearly a year, she ultimately had her operation blow up in her face 
due to a Dutch dickhead that decided to go entrepreneur and create a viral food blight for a member corporation. Jack Glasser had survived a hostage situation in a remote Canadian cannabis facility, which was a money laundering operation for the organization, and managed to escape with the help of his brother, Luke. When she finally had a chance to kill him, she couldn't. She knew there was no algorithm other than what was contained in his head, and his method of research, blasting multiple information streams into his unconscious head, could never be fully explained. Worse, she was beginning to realize she had real feelings for Jack, and that was a problem. The dark-complexioned man sat with his legs crossed, smoking a cigarette and rubbing the dark stubble on his head. His running attire clashed with a cigarette, but having logged hundreds of miles on his jogging shoes, an occasional cigarette was worth the guilty pleasure, especially since he'd been assigned to find and surveil Beth Colby, his new employer's assignment. He looked down at his phone and ground the cigarette into the sidewalk with his shoe. Draper was never one for hellos, and since he didn't actually know the man, today was no different. She's still not picking up, Draper said, referring to Beth. She's still there, right? The man wrinkled his forehead and flexed his forearms, watching the ropey veins fill with blood and dance beneath his skin. GPS says she's still here, he said, with an Eastern European accent. This has gone on long enough. I need to talk to her, Draper said, his anger bubbling up to the surface. Get her back here. The man smiled and felt a tingle beneath the fabric of his running shorts. He'd been surveilling Draper's girl for a month, and it was hard to deny that she was truly a specimen. Athletic, trim, with long blonde hair, she was strikingly beautiful, but not in an obvious way. She stood 5'9 and was supposedly the angel of death that no one ever saw coming. She was an urban legend both respected and feared by every man within the organization. Fools, he thought. He'd seen her, but as a newly hired contractor for the organization, he seriously doubted she was that good. Certainly not at his skill level. He had done wet work all across Europe, leaving bodies in his wake with every job. He was good. That's why the organization brought him in to consult, or more appropriately, be a new face that wouldn't register with Beth. Understood, the man said, disconnecting the call, getting up, and walking toward the Santa Monica Pier. Beth shook out her hair and made her bed. She took a look at her surroundings. Small, but nice. After the Greenleaf debacle and the chase to eradicate viral plants, ultimately having the killer protege, Serena Green, she'd opted for alone time. Her small rental cottage in the back of a Santa Monica craftsman-style home was just what she needed. It wasn't exactly spacious, just two rooms, a living area with a kitchenette and a bedroom with a small bathroom. But the layout suited her well, and it was as innocuous as she was attempting to be. As just another blonde woman in Santa Monica, she didn't stand out, which was saying a lot, considering by all accounts she was a striking woman 
and not standing out in other towns to practice. Living in the small Santa Monica cottage, she was as inconspicuous as a living, breathing force of nature could be. But more importantly, her sabbatical was working. Nightmares aside, she felt she was actually getting somewhere. That therapy was helping. The dream sucked, but there was a slow reveal that had begun to happen. She was beginning to remember things. Memories that had been pushed so far down they hadn't seen the light of day. Quite a bit was rattling around in her subconscious waiting to come up. As she toweled the sweat from her damp hair, she realized things were indeed coming up. It was March in Southern California, and at 7 a.m. was still chilly. She tied her hair back, put on a pair of leggings and a light athletic vest. She did a double take in the mirror. Her attire and look reminded her of Serena Green, a dark-haired beauty who had been her part-time lover and the co-worker she'd recently killed. She shook her head at the thought, grabbed her keys, and prepared to run to the Santa Monica Pier.